Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, Enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, LZ, the mayor. Now let's get to it. All right, folks, this is going to be a special episode, and I know I say that every single time, and I say it every single time because it's true every single time. We have Greg Ward with the Center of Respectful Leadership with us. Mr. Greg Ward, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> me too. You know, I love what I do, and it's I pinch myself because I get to do what I love, and I get to learn from brilliant people like yourself, so I'm on cloud nine. Greg, before we get into the good stuff, and we do have some good stuff, can I get an oh yeah? Oh yeah. Perfect, perfect. Greg, give us a two-minute Cliff Notes version of how you got to Center of Respectful Leadership. Okay. This is my origin story, and I'm not particularly proud of it, but it does make the point. When I was growing up, my mother used to say I had a mouth on me, and I was very sharp-tongued. And I would do things that a young man sometimes does that isn't acceptable in society and get myself in trouble and with the police. And I had a mouth on me and I would give them stuff and they would not necessarily treat me with respect and vice versa. And then after I got out of college, I fell into a job, literally fell into a job developing a training program for police officers in New York City on how to manage what they call EDPs, emotionally disturbed persons. And using my skills, I had trained as an actor. I worked as a professional actor, writer, director, and producer, and I fell into this job. And I realized for the first time how hard it is to be a cop. And I'm not making excuses for them in any way because I think policing has a long way to go in this country in so many areas. But I also understood for the first time how police are treated on a daily basis. And it's not necessarily with a lot of respect. And so I saw it from the other side and I realized how important respect is in relationships and eventually, this has become my work, my life's work, is to help organizations develop respect within their cultures. And what we found is, is that means everybody, all the boats will rise, and everyone will do better if you have a culture of respect within your organization. So if, if my listening skills serve me, I just heard you say that you had some not so good of a relationship with police. And then you fell into a job where you were working with police? That's right. That's right. Crazy. How I expected my life to go. <laughs> How'd that happen? Well, 
to be honest with you, I was a starving artist in New York City, and I needed a job, and I was working as a temp at, at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in the Office of Special Programs, and the dean came to me. He said, I know you work in theater. We're about to develop a proposal for the police department to train them on how to handle emotionally disturbed persons. Can you help us develop the live improvisation role play side of the program? And I said, sure. And by the way, the program, after a long development period, and we rolled it out. At first, the cops, the people in charge at the police department were like actors in a training program. Are you kidding me? That's not going to work. Our cops are going to hate it. Well, it turns out they absolutely loved it. It was really, really powerful. And it was written up in the New York Times. CNN did a special about it. And we found that we were able to use our techniques to touch police officers in ways that they'd never been touched before in a very powerful way that helped them understand that not everybody's a criminal. Not everybody is, in their words, a skell or a thug, that there are people out there who are suffering, have issues and challenges, and that if you approach them with respect first, nine times out of 10, they'll comply. They'll go along with what you want them to do. But if you approach them with force, you approach them with disrespect, what are you going to get in return? You're going to get disrespected in return, and you're going to get force in return. And that's what we were trying to teach them. And it, we were very successful at it. So define success. What did success look like? Ah, well, that's a great question. When we were delivering the training, we actually tried to replicate real cases, real issues and, and situations that cops had come in on, come into on a regular basis. And New York City is a big city, as you know, with a lot of big city problems. And they were often walking into already exploded situations where people were acting out upset, angry, were being violent. And what we helped them to understand is, first, you got to assess, you can't just run in and start hitting people over the head with your nightstick. You got to assess what's going on here. You got to take a moment and pause and take a deep breath and take a look at the situation because it's not always as you assume it is. You just rush in. That's going to get you in, in deeper trouble. So we went at it from their point of view. Do you really want to wade into something too fast and get yourself in deep before you know what you're doing? And so we taught them, first of all, take a breath and stop what you're doing rushing, and you're more likely to, to be able to assess the situation appropriately and take the appropriate action. So we very much came at it from their point of view, and we tried to recreate the situations in way that, ways that were very believable and realistic. We hired really good actors, and we set the situations. We actually did much of the training down at the Transit Museum on replica subway cars. So we tried to make the situation as much like what they would go into in the real world rather than just in a classroom setting, if that makes sense. To dig a little bit deeper in terms of the program itself, did you guys have metrics that you went by to say that after an officer goes through this training, here are the outcomes? I'm curious to know what were some of those, those outcomes. Yes, that's a great question. The police department actually went into this training almost by decree, by court decree, because what was happening is too many people were being apprehended who were m mentally ill, had health issues, and being either hurt, and in one case, someone was killed accidentally because the police saw this person as a threat. 
And so there was a lot of public outcry and also some pending lawsuits. And so the police department said, okay, we need to bring these numbers down. There's, There's too many incidents involving people who are mentally ill and them getting killed or hurt badly. So what the primary metric was is after these training programs were a week long, imagine that, 40 hours. And so after what we start, what the police department started to look at was what are their stats? What are their numbers after cohorts of officers would go through the training? And we did two years of training. So we trained a lot of police officers and their supervisors in two years. And they definitely saw a downturn in those numbers. They absolutely, those, that's what they were looking for. And that's what they got without question. Unfortunately, the funding ran out. And that was a long time ago. The funding ran out. I don't know what they're doing now. I would say that they could have learned lessons from that past. I would say that they probably, it's complicated. I would like to see them do better. Let's put it that way. I would like to see all police departments do better in that regard. Why do you think we focus so much on reactive policing and not proactive? That is such an important question. I think because the police culture is about working with the tools that you have at hand and because crime is is a constant throughout a police officer's uh, career. Yes, there are other things they attend to, but they're primarily there to fight crime. And when you've got so many resources and just so much time, and things are happening in real time and so quickly, you tend to become reactive to everything. Because there was a program called CPOP. I don't know if it's still in place with the police department, where community policing, basically, where in the old days, you would have a cop on the beat down on the street, walking the beat, not only where they lived, but also just literally, they would get to know a certain beat. And they would get to know the people there who lived there and the community. We don't necessarily do that anymore. And so it's all about putting people in squad cars or in police language, RMPs, and putting them in those vehicles and sending them immediately as quickly as possible to a problem. So policing is reactive at its very core. And what we need to do, I believe what police departments need to do, which is happening more and more finally is partner with other agencies, emergency teams on site who are trained to deal with mental health issues. We expect so much of our police officers these days, everything from being a a therapist, a crisis counselor, a rape counselor, you name it, we're expecting our police officers to be everything and, and everyone to everyone in every situation. And that's a very tall order. Plus, they have to fight crime. So I think at the end of the day, policing is a reactive business, and we need to learn to do better, to partner with agencies that aren't about being reactive, that are about being proactive, as you said. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked specifically a lot about policing, right? But the common theme in the, the thread is respect. Talk a little bit about respect as it relates to in the business world and how to not only motivate people, but to get people to do their best work, get people to work better in teams. How does respect play a role in that? Well, thank you for asking that question. One of the things that 
we learned as we started to research respect here at the Center for Respectful Leadership is that there was a time not too long ago where you joined an organization, usually at the bottom, and you were not necessarily treated with respect. You were supposed to sort of put up with it. You were given the dirty jobs. Uh, you you were try- had to try to prove yourself. You had to earn your boss's respect. Well, back in the day when I, my first job, that's exactly how I was treated. I worked on a road crew for the county of Nassau County on Long Island. I was cleaning up waste on the roads and I was the youngest guy. I was the newest guy. So they treated me like dirt. And that was the way it was. And I was told to just suck it up. And, but those days are gone. And that's something we all have to realize. Uh, Back then, I was just glad to have a job. And I think many people were over the course of their lives back then. But nowadays, with full employment, basically, if you have some kind of credentials, some kind of training, some kind of experience, it's likely you can get a job relatively easy in this world. I'm not saying there still aren't hurdles, but it's a lot easier now to have a halfway decent job than it was when I was growing up. So we as employers have to realize that treating our employees with disrespect has a, has huge implications, not only for that individual employee, but also for how they treat our, their colleagues and how they treat their customers. So all of our research tells us that if you have a culture where people treat each other with respect, that is going to have some significant positive bottom line impacts all the way from customer satisfaction, all the way to retaining your best and your brightest people. One of the things we found out, if you don't mind me citing a study, is MIT and Sloan School of uh, Business in Boston released a study in January 2022 that said, if, if you remember the great resignation, everybody was quitting their job. Uh, during the pandemic and at the end of the tail end of the pandemic. And what they determined is that a toxic work environment where people feel disrespected, where they feel there's no integrity, where they feel corners are being uh, cut and people are just used up and thrown away, a toxic work environment is 10 times more likely to cause someone to quit their job than compensation. If they didn't necessarily feel they were paid as well as they should be, and they were working in a toxic environment, they were very likely to quit. But toxic environment was the number one reason why people quit their jobs during the Great Resignation. So our point is, hey, if you treat people with respect, if if you don't assume that they have to earn your respect because you're the boss, if you treat them with respect first, that will be reciprocated. And respect is also, I like to say, it's its very infectious. If I treat you with respect, Elsie, it's very likely you're going to treat me with respect. And we're going to feel good about it because there's actually some brain science involved. When we're treated with respect in ways that we consider respectful, our brains release a hormone called uh, oxytocin. You may have heard of it. It's called the, the love hormone or the bonding hormone. We get a little bit of that in our system and we feel good and, and we logically go to, oh, I feel good because that person treated me with respect. And when we feel good like that, we're going to reciprocate. And also we're going to treat other people with respect. So we have to remember that respect is very much a feeling. It's the result of deep primitive responses within our primitive brain. 
And it's not the result of rational cognitive thought. It's a feeling. And so is disrespect. And disrespect is a very powerful feeling because we are always on the lookout for threat. And disrespect is perceived by our very primitive reptilian brain as a threat. And so we're always on the lookout. We don't want to have that happen to us again. So we get hardened and we get a little bitter and we might, and you know what happens when we're under threat, we go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. And if someone disrespects you and you decide to disrespect them back, well, that can escalate really fast. Or if you decide to run away, that can escalate as well. So we believe that if once people understand the neuroscience of respect, then it's much more likely they're going to understand how having a culture of respect is so very good for their business. What's your perspective on the intersection of respect as it pertains to DE&I, the lack thereof respect, or what are some ways that organizations can do that better? That is a great question, Elsie. Thank you so much. As we all know, we are in the midst of a national discussion on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Finally, uh, I've been doing this work for 25 plus years, and we're only now beginning to have a powerful conversation about these things. And it's imperative that people understand that our workplaces are more diverse than ever before in our history. And that is not going to change, and we're not going to go back to the way it was. And so if we accept that our workplaces are diverse, we must accept that people are different and have different expectations around what respect is for them. And if we find out what those are and we meet those expectations, we're likely to have a respectful environment. My fear is that in order to attract customers that and attract talent, organizations like to make these bold statements about how committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion they are, but they don't go much further beyond that. They might hire a DE&I officer in the leadership role, but give them no staff or give them no budget and have them go throughout and, and be the Pied Piper of DE&I throughout the organization of 20, 30, 40,000 people. And there's just one of them. And that, that's an extraordinary burden to put upon them. So we need to be absolutely careful. We can believe in our heart that diversity and equity and inclusion is right for business, is good for business. And all the research we've done says it is. At the end of the day, without treating that with the full scope of respect that it deserves, then it's nothing more than DE&I washing. And people have what I call really good BS detectors. They know when an organization is just, you know, saying stuff, but they're not really walking the talk. And, and respect helps us to walk that talk, if that answers your question. Yep. What is DE&I washing? Essentially, it's putting up on your corporate website and making statements, putting it in your brochures that we value and respect and encourage. We're an equal opportunity employer. All the standard language that says we are an employer that values DE&I. And that's great. That's wonderful that they're willing to say that publicly. But you've got to back that up. 
You've got to walk your talk. You've got to make sure, for example, there's pay equity across the board, that women, for example, who are traditionally paid less than men are are paid at the equal amount. That you're recruiting for diverse candidates. You're not just looking at the usual suspects. You you may have heard of the term like hires like. Well, th- that was very common and still is where people are looking for people like themselves. And so that automatically excludes diverse subject, diverse candidates. And the other thing is a lot of organizations say you must interview. Look, the NFL does this. You must interview one diverse candidate for a coaching position. And so they go and check the box. Okay, we interviewed that candidate. We're not going to, no way we're going to hire that person, but we interviewed them. So we did what we're supposed to do. So this checking of the box, we have to be super careful about that because people sniff it out. They know what that is. And it just, it's actually puts your organization in a worse light if you're just DE&I washing and not doing anything more to walk your own talk. In a lot of ways, it's a bit deeper than that, right? It's very hard to create policy that changes the heart. Talk a little bit about that, right? Because you could say, well, the the law of the land is you have to interview diverse candidates and people will then just check the box. How do we get behind the policy, right, to the heart of the actual issue? That is a very important question. I think that at the end of the day, we have to help our leaders understand other people's perspectives and not just keep their heads down buried in the numbers, which they often are, that every organization is part of a community, not just the community where the company is based, but also the community of people who work there. We now have a situation where many people are working remotely, either in hybrid or full-time remote work from home. They are part of a community too. And so when you realize that this, this whole community is impacted by your decisions and by your willingness to explore possibility that others can lead who don't haven't traditionally led, that we don't just go down the same old road that we've always gone down on hiring and promotions and what have you, that it's okay to take a risk on people that you haven't taken a risk on before. Once you have that open possibility mindset, there's all sorts of things that can happen. Are you going to make a mistake? Are you going to trip up, hire the wrong person? Heck yes, but you did that before you were committed to DEI. So why not keep doing that now? So it's it's that openness, it's that willingness to see that there are benefits, really true business benefits from going in this direction. I've never met an organization that didn't change the way they operated without uh, in terms of DEI and experienced horrible numbers, you know, terrible things happening because they happen to embrace diversity. I've never ha- heard of such an organization. Have you? Nope. Nope. Now, people are so resistant. People are so resistant. And, and we, lived in su- we live in such a highly po- politicized environment now where, where the very term diversity is now political and politicized. And I, it drives me nuts. And my focus is on respect, which is at the core of everything we do here. And if we can help folks understand how important respect is, Regardless of who you are, if I treat you in a way that you consider respectful, that's likely to turn out to be a good thing. 
Mm -hmm. So give us some steps, right? I don't want you to give away the farm, but what's the framework? If I'm a a business leader and I want to start to implement this respect factor into my business, how can I begin to do that? That is a very good question. We usually start with education. We help business leaders understand two things. That one, that respect and disrespect are feelings. They're not part of rational cognitive thinking. And feelings are very, very important. Unfortunately, feelings tended to be downplayed or ignored in the workplace. But what we're seeing now is being a part of a team where you feel respected and valued and trusted. And you could say something that's a little bit contradictory of your boss and not get pilloried for it and not get in trouble for it. It's called psychological safety. So we do a lot. We start with education. We also show them the numbers. There's data out there. We found it. We demonstrate, look, here's one organization where respect, they've created a respectful culture. And here's another organization, a competitor that is does not have respectful culture. And let's look at their year over year growth rate. Let's look at their net profits. Let's look at their turnover and retention of their best employees. Let's look at all the other factors that you are looking at, the KPIs that you are looking at as a business leader every single day. And I will show you again and again and again, a culture of respect has better KPIs than a culture of disrespect. And so once we do that education process, they go, oh, oh, okay, all right, tell me more. And one of the next phases in this process, which we call ARC, an actively respectful culture, building an ARC within your organization, the next phase is giving people, as you ask, tools and techniques for doing that. That usually starts with leadership. And one of the things we want them to understand is that if you treat people with respect first, rather than expecting them to respect you because, you know, you've got the patch on your shoulder or the scrambled eggs on your cap, you know, treat people with respect no matter who they are, and it will be reciprocated and all the bolts will rise. There's a number of other techniques. For example, you've got to nip disrespect in the bud. It may not surprise you, Elsie, but interruption, if people interrupting you in a meeting is one of the top mentions, whenever we ask people, what do you feel disrespected by? What behavior do you feel disrespected by at work? Interruptions by others is one of the top things people talk about. And so if you're a leader and you see your teammates doing that, you got to take them aside and you've got to nip disrespect in the bud before it grows from a little molehill like interrupting people into a much bigger mountain where people don't want to work together because they feel so disrespected by each other. So that's something else that leaders need to do is nip disrespect in the bud. There's a whole bunch of other tools and I know our time is limited. I don't want to get take up too much of our time on that, but I'd love to talk about them if that's possible. So Give us one more. What's what's another thing? I heard you say nipping disrespect in the bud is one of them and giving respect first, making sure that you're leading with that. What's one more uh, thing that we can uh, implement? Okay. So one more thing we could do is when you are faced with disrespect, something, a behavior that you consider disrespectful, our first instinct is to be, we talked about this before, a little bit reactive, right? And if you're the kind of person who goes into fight mode, When someone disrespects you, that is very likely going to uh, escalate and get ugly real fast. 
If you're someone who goes into flight mode, well, then you're trying to avoid the person who disrespected you. And what if that's your boss and you're trying to avoid your own boss? That's very, very difficult and problematical. And if you go into freeze mode, then levels of uh, shame come into place. You're sitting in a meeting and you're frozen. You're not saying anything because you feel disrespected. I, I am a freezer. That's how I react to disrespect. And, and then I feel I feel shame for not having done something, stood up for myself. And so what we urge people to do when faced with disrespect in that moment is to take a bath, B-A-T-H. The B stands for breathe and breathe purposefully and breathe deeply. Has anyone ever told you to calm down when you were upset? It, if they did, you know it, it didn't work. You actually probably got more upset. But if they said to you, hey, take a deep breath, it's likely that you were able to calm yourself down quickly by doing that. The next thing in the tool, the bath tool, is to ask yourself, did they do this intentionally? Ask yourself, what was the intention here? Were they deliberately disrespecting me or were they unconsciously disrespecting me? Because many people are just unconscious to their own behavior. It's a lack of self-awareness, a lack of, of emotional intelligence. And they're just, they're just clueless about what they just said. They don't even realize that what they said was disrespectful. So you need to ask yourself, was the intention to disrespect me? Now, by doing that, you're slowing yourself down. And the T stands for time. Take your time in figuring out how you're going to respond. Take your time. Think it through. Again, try to be less feeling and more rational and cognitive. And finally, the H stands for hold off. Don't do anything. If someone disrespects you in the moment, the best thing to do is hold off. Because let's say you come back at them with some smart remark or a, a disrespectful repost or something like that. That's going to escalate. That's going to cause more problems. But if you hold off and you catch them in a, another time outside of that situation where they're more likely to be open to having a conversation with you about what happened, especially if you take them aside so they're not in front of anybody else, nine times out of 10, if you approach them respectfully and say, hey, you, you may not be aware of this, but what happened in the meeting I found disrespectful. I, I, the impact on me was I felt disrespected. I know that wasn't necessarily your intention. You got to give people a little bit of, let them off the hook a little bit. And, and instead of using, but I know this wasn't your intention. And the result of it was I felt disrespected. And I'd, I'd like to let you know that's what happened. And I hope this doesn't happen in the future. Nine times out of 10, unless you're dealing with a sociopath who's deliberately trying to provoke you, you will get through to them. And they might even say, thank you for letting me know I didn't realize it. And, you know, sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. And you probably won't have a problem again. And now this doesn't work on everyone. Some people have no respect for respect. In fact, they were treated so disrespectfully their entire lives. They feel that's the way they have to behave in order to succeed and get ahead. And my recommendation is do what so many people did during the pandemic and the great resignation is get the hell out of that situation. Because if you're dealing so with someone who's who uses disrespect as their operating uh, principle, you're never going to win with them. And it, you're going to be more and more frustrated. So do whatever you can to get yourself or them out of that situation. Wow, that's that's good stuff. What would you say is the number one thing you've learned over the years in, in doing this work? The number one thing that I have 
learned over the years of doing this work is that most people have been raised where disrespect was either the norm, such as having parents who behaved in a command and control kind of environment where they said, do as I say, because I'm your mother, or do as I say, because I'm your father, regardless. And we're also told that they had to respect their elders, even when their elders behave disrespectfully. So there's a lot of contradiction that people grew up with about disrespect. And so what I've learned is that many, many people grew up with disrespect. And so they kind of assume that's the way it is. And if you if you look at it from the opposite view, if we grow up with respect, nine times out of 10, that person will be respectful themselves and have a, a be a better contributor and, and have a better life in general. Respect makes a lot of things much better. Got it. I could talk to you all day about this because I think that there are so many applications, right? When you think about, you know, being a founder or a leader in an organization, there's so many things. You talked about EDPs or emotionally disturbed persons and understanding yourself, doing the self-awareness work, knowing your team, how do they react to things? But unfortunately, we'll have to save that for another conversation. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more about the Center for respectful leadership, or to just say hi, how can they do that? They can go to our website. There's a lot of resources there, a lot of videos, a lot of PDFs they can download. It's The site is very simple, respectfulleadership.org. Or they can even type in the, the Center for Respectful Leadership and it'll come up on a search. Very cool. Thanks again for your time, Greg. Thank you for having me. This was a privilege. Thank you. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.